So many of us are familiar through the New Testament with the Jewish sects, uh, first century sects of the Pharisees. We're familiar with them. We're familiar with the Jewish sect of the Sadducees. We see them written about extensively in the New Testament, especially how Yeshua came against many of their theologies and their attitudes and their practices. But there is another primary Jewish sect back then, which is lesser known because, well, it's not written about in the New Testament, but they existed nonetheless, at least the historical accounts lead us to believe so, and it's a sect called the Essenes. I don't know if anybody has heard of the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S in Hebrew. Nobody got that. Sorry. That was a little too deadpan. Yes, okay. <laughs> Using Hebrew letters, E-S-S. I'm just going to stop right now. So the Essenes, so they were, how do we know that they existed at all? Primarily, it's through historical documents, uh, such as the writings of the Jewish historian named Josephus. Has anybody ever heard of Josephus? He was a first century historian. What happened with Josephus, he was, per, he was born around the time that Yeshua died. And he was a soldier in the army in the Jewish war against Rome, the same war that eventually brought down the temple. And he surrendered to Rome, even though a lot of his comrades committed suicide. He surrendered to Rome. And then once he was at, in Rome, he found favor with Rome and Roman leaders. They gave him a new name. So, you know, Joseph, son of Matthew, became Flavius Josephus. And he started to write books of Jewish history and also books that chronicled the Roman-Jewish war for posterity's sake, and we still have this writing today. Um, in this writing, he speaks about this group called the Essenes. The Essenes, I would say they lived a lot like monks, like a monastic life where they were down apparently in the wilderness. Are we familiar with the wilderness or the desert? Uh, the actual book of, the book of Numbers that in English, I'm not going to say in Hebrew because you don't get the joke, but the book of Numbers in Hebrew is called Bamidbar. Bamidbar. And Bamidbar does not mean numbers. It means in the wilderness or in the desert. The Hebrew word for wilderness or desert is Midbar. And... These Essenes apparently dwelled down by the Dead Sea in the area of, let's say, En Gedi, if you're familiar with the geography in the Negev Desert. I remember I was in En Gedi when I was in Israel with some pretty intense desert hiking. If anybody loves to hike or enjoys hiking, desert, mountain desert hiking is a very, very different experience. But you're up there and you see all these ancient caves and tombs and, you know, all these holes in the mountains, which were very, very ancient. Anyway, that's where the Essenes 
lived. They were down there, and they lived, like I said, almost like monks, like they were in a monastery. They lived very uh, religious, pure lives. They were very big on purity. Uh, They were very strict in their diet. They ate diets that were more like, oh, almost like a Daniel fast, I would say. They just really wanted to deny their flesh, right? So they ate very simply. They they didn't eat very um, uh, savory foods, so they stayed away from that. And they immersed themselves in water every day. They went through a daily mikvah. Mikvah. So mikvah is the Hebrew term. I would say it's the English term, but you won't get the joke. Mikvah is essentially the waters of baptism. It's called mikvah. And they would do that every day. So there is one gentleman that came out, so it is thought, historically, from the Essenes, and his name was Yochanan. He became known as Yochanan Hamatbil. Yochanan Hamatbil. The root word in Matbil is Taval, or Taval, or Taval, which means to immerse or to baptize. So when Yochanan Hamatbil got translated into Greek and then into English, Yochanan Hamatbil became John the Baptist. And many people think that he was in a scene just number one from his strange diet of locusts and honey. It's some people now it doesn't specifically say why he ate locusts and honey in the Bible. And in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, a lot of these things do have an Old Testament reference. But if you find one, please let me know. I don't know of any Old Testament reference where somebody else was eating locusts and honey. It seems that he was doing it a part of that diet to deny the flesh and just eat icky stuff. Except for the honey, which is probably really good. So, and it also says, as we know, in Luke... In the Gospels, that the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation of Israel. So he spent a lot of time down there, Bamidbar, in the wilderness, in the desert. He spent a lot of time there, so this potentially can be a bit of a proof text that he did come from this group of the Essenes, and many people do believe that. But when he came into Israel, he was a an important guy, and he got his training in the wilderness. He got his learning and his relationship with the Lord and his calling. Well, he actually got his calling as a baby. His father, Zechariah, when he got his voice back, actually prophesied over the baby and said he was going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. See, he was an important dude. There are Old Testament prophecies about John the Baptist. Voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. But he got his training in the desert. So if you're ever in the desert, remember, you're getting trained. You're getting trained up. There's a revelation even in the Hebrew. I guess we're doing a lot of Hebrew today. So the Hebrew for... 
desert, like I said, is midbar. This is the Hebrew word for desert or wilderness. It's the same thing. When you see wilderness in the scripture, don't think forest. Think desert. Think a dry land, a parched land. That's where he got his training. In the word midbar, the root word dalid vet resh, davar. You know what that means? Word. The word. The word. So you're not in the desert. You're in his word. This is where God speaks. In fact, the word midbar, the exact same word is the, is the same consonants as the word midaber. You know what that means? Speaking. So you might be in the desert and you might feel that you're in the desert in the wilderness of your life. But let me tell you something. God is speaking right there. That's where we listen. He puts us in the desert so we listen to his voice because God is speaking. Why? Because his word is in the desert. His word, literally, his word is in the desert. And he's speaking in the desert. So if you ever feel like you're in a dark or dry or parched or confusing place like a wilderness, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know which way God is taking me. Just cock that ear up spiritually. Get that antenna tuned up because God is speaking right where you are. That is the purpose of the desert. It's for where he speaks and he teaches us how to speak in the desert. Maybe God's got a voice through you and he's training up that voice in the desert, in the wilderness. Bamidbar, same words as midaber, same letters, speaking. Bless the Lord. So we have this Yochanan Hamatbil, John the Immerser, who got his training in the desert. And he was a big dude. Now, we may just see him as a minor character a little bit because we see him in the beginnings of the Gospels. And then he's killed. And obviously, 95% of the Gospels are about Yeshua, as should they be. It is the Gospel of Yeshua, not the Gospel of John. But he was a big guy. Even in the writings of Josephus, as we spoke about, John the Baptist is mentioned. And he's mentioned as a good man. And Josephus even mentions how he was executed by Herod, corroborating the New Testament account, albeit with less detail. So he was a big guy. He was an important guy. And the things that Yeshua said about him were extraordinarily complimentary. Yeshua doesn't say a whole lot of complimentary things about too many people. When it came to his talking to people, it was a whole lot more rebuke than it was complimenting. But John the Baptist, he went to a whole bunch of people and said, what did you intend to see? A prophet? I tell you more than a prophet. This is Yeshua, the Lord God saying he's more than a prophet. This was, a, this was quite complimentary. He really propped him up. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And he goes on to say that the prophets prophesied until John, as if he was John, was the last of the prophets, and if he, if he, as if he was the greatest of the prophets. 
So these are quite impressive words coming from the Lord, that there's none greater. There's no prophet greater than John the Baptist. Well, I tell you something. There is a prophet greater than John the Baptist. Because I didn't come here today to give you such a sermon on John the Baptist. Because it doesn't say that if John the Baptist's name get lifted up, oh, I'm supposed to give a, a shout out to Ram in Israel or wherever he is. So Ram, shout out our Jewish brother in Israel or wherever he is. All right. I kept my word. Bless the Lord. So I didn't come up to lift up Ram or John the Baptist. I came, up to, came here to lift up the name of Yeshua. And I tell you right now that Yeshua said there's no greater prophet. There's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. But I tell you right now that there is a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And where is it wrong? Where did, where am, am I saying that Yeshua said something wrong? No, he didn't say something wrong. He said there is none born of women that are greater than John the Baptist. I tell you right now, there's prophets that are born of women and there are prophets that are born of spirits. There is no greater prophet born of women than John the Baptist, born of women. But those of the kingdom are born of the spirits. And our Torah portion this week speaks about a prophet that's born not of women, or maybe of women also, but of the spirit. And it says in our Torah portion, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words, Devar, Devarim, in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Who is this prophet? I've spoken about this so many times since about 2008 when Rabbi Peter did his first teachings, I think probably his very first, on the festivals, the, the, all the biblical festivals, and he went through, I think it was every week, and he did one particular festival, and I remember it was at his home when he lived over there, about a half mile away, and he was about to do the teaching on Pentecost on Shavuot, and I went to his home a little bit early, and he had far too many pieces of paper in front of him than I'm used to with Rabbi Peter, and his hair was frazzled. And he looked a little stressed. And he, we were just chatting and chatting and chatting. And I, I just mentioned to him that, you know, back in my previous congregation in New Jersey, I gave a whole big teaching on Shavuot, on Pentecost. That was the holiday that he was about to do that night. And he goes, Baruch Hashem, it's yours. You're doing the teaching tonight. And I gave him my best Ralph Cramden Yet I did it, and what came forth from that night was something that came forth every time thereafter when Rabbi Peter did a series on the holidays, he would have me do Shavuot Pentecost because this scripture happened at Pentecost. And for those that don't know, Pentecost is the holiday of Shavuot, the Jewish holiday, the biblical holiday, which commemorates when God came down on Mount Sinai and spoke the Ten Commandments. The same day he gave, out the, gave the Holy Spirit is the same day he gave the law. Exactly the same day. Exactly the same day. Pentecost wasn't a new thing. 
When it says in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, it's not like the writer made it up back then, just then. In fact, later on in the New Testament, it says Paul wanted to, this is years later, Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Why? Because it's a holiday. And it's the holiday that commemorates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. And we know the narrative of when God gave the Torah out Sinai, that he spoke from the mountaintop, and the mountains quaked, and the mountains shaked, and it was shaking, and it was rattling, and it was rolling. And there was lightning. They saw the, they saw the thunder, and they heard the lightning. And there were shofar blasts, and the mountain was smoked, and it was quaking and trembling, and the people, and that wasn't the only thing that was trembling. You know what else was trembling? Their knees. And eventually they said, Moses, we can't handle that. That's a little bit too holy for me. If I got to go talk to that God, I'm going to die. So they went to Moses with a better idea, and they said, Moses, you seem pretty good up there. You go to the mountaintop okay. You seem to have some, you know, a good time up there. You could spend, what, 120 days up there on your face and not eating or drinking. You seem to be okay with it. We got an idea. Moses, moving forward, you go talk to God, and we'll talk to you. And then God said, what they ask is good. You would think that God would be upset. They don't want to talk to me. But they said what they ask is good. Why? Because it was God's plan from the beginning. And God responded in that time, I will raise up a prophet from their brothers. And you must listen to him. That was said, this, from this Torah portion, this happened at Sinai. This happened on Pentecost. So on the day, listen, on the day when God said, I'm going to raise up a prophet from amongst their brothers, he poured out his spirit on the people of Yeshua. Do you hear what I'm saying? On the day that he said, I will raise up a prophet, on that same day, he poured out his spirit, not on Yeshua the man, the 33-year-old man, he went to heaven 10 days prior. The Holy Spirit was poured out on you, on the believers. You are the prophet. You are. You are that prophet. When God said, I will raise up a prophet from amongst your brothers. Well, doesn't Yeshua fulfill all law? Yes, but this is not Yeshua the man at this point. This is Yeshua in his spirit living inside of you. On the same day, he said, I'm going to raise up a prophet. He poured out a spirit on the people of Yeshua. I tell you right now that you all have a spirit of prophecy. I tell you right now that if you have Yeshua and the Holy Spirit within you, then you are a prophet greater than John the Baptist because he was the greatest prophet born of women. But when you believe in Yeshua, you are born of spirit. How do I know that you are a greater prophet born of spirit than John the Baptist? Because it says the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Is there anyone here that is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? That means you are greater. Yeshua said it himself that you are greater prophet than John the Baptist. You are a greater prophet. I know you, that sounds maybe self-focused or self-elevating. I'm just quoting Yeshua. Those in the kingdom, least in the kingdom. Anybody least in the kingdom? I'll fight you for that one. No. 
is greater than John the Baptist. If you're in the kingdom, you're greater than John the Baptist. Don't blame me if that sounds too self-elevating. Yeshua said it about the citizens of the kingdom. That's you. And we see that he poured his spirit out. On the day that he said, I will raise up a prophet, he poured his spirit out on the people of Yeshua. Born of spirit, not born of women. Born again. Born again. Born again, born again, born again. Oh my gosh. You know, we're, we're so stuck in the born of women mentality. We're so stuck in the first, in our first birth mentality. We don't, we don't remember that when we're at Walmart, we're citizens of the kingdom. We don't remember that we're in stop and shop, that we have the spirit of God within us, that he poured out his spirit on us, that we operate in the kingdom. We don't remember. We don't remember. We don't remember. We don't remember. Oh, my gosh. He's the head of the body, it says. I'm looking at the body right now. He's the head. Do you know that you are of the same substance, the same essence of Yeshua? You are his body. He's the head. You're the 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 body. And this is the, this is the difference between our faith and any faith in the world, every other religious system, Judaism included, is about our belief. It's not about the one that we believe in living inside of us and becoming one with him. We have become one with the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the head, you're the body. He's the head, you're the body. He's the head, you're the body. Where's my drummer today? He's the head, you're the body. He's the head, you're the body. And that's how we're supposed to look at this. It's no longer you that live, but it's Mashiach that lives within you. Where's my drummer? It's no longer you that live. But Mashiach that lives within you. And we have to remember that. Remember that. See, this is the only faith where we get the mind of Messiah. This is the only faith where we get the mind of the one that we believe in. That we get his mind. We get a little brain transplant. We get a little head transplant. He's the head of the body. We get his mind. Oh, my gosh. And we forget this. And we forget it all the time. And we forget it all the time. We got to keep our head about us. We got to keep our head on straight. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Oh, that's a good word right there, Val. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Come on, somebody. Don't lose your head. Keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. This is the way it was meant to be. This is what, this is what the New Testament is all about. It's no longer you that live, but it's Mashiach that lives within you. You're the body. He's the head. There's a time that's coming that the head is coming back to his body and will truly be one flesh. But we don't need to wait for the future for the kingdom. The kingdom is now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, I, I remember this one time I was in Haiti. It was the time I first met Ernst. And Ernst told me about a dream that he had where he was ministering to the children at the orphanage and a lion's head came down from heaven and deposited itself 
on him. That's good stuff. And you know what he did in the dream? He took little lion heads and he put them on each of the kids. Thank you, Father. Don't lose your head. Keep your head about you. What are the other expressions? Keep your head about you. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. I love this proverb, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Come on, somebody. This is a no-brainer. This is not bold as a lion, meaning a, a regular lion that you see out there. Who is the lion that the righteous are as bold at? It's Yeshua. Keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. Lou, come on up. Keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. Thank you, Father. Keep your head about you. I, I made a couple of eye poke holes for you, unless you don't see it. This is the best I could do at 6 in the morning. You're going to have to forgive me. That's all I got. Keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. Thank you, Adonai. Yes, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> you know, his Hebrew name is actually Ari, which means lion. I think this makes a lot of sense. You can go back. Don't trip. Thank you, Father. 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 Keep your head about you. 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 Yeah, don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. In times of trial, don't lose your head. Do you get it? In times of wilderness, desert, dryness in your life, don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Yeah. Don't lose your head. Hey, how did John the Baptist die? <laughs> Don't lose your head. You know, maybe there's something to that. You know, John the Baptist was probably the youngest person to ever receive the Lord. In one of the Bible's greatest proof texts that there is life in the womb. John the Baptist, in the presence of fetal Yeshua, leapt. Maybe received the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why babies go goo goo gaga. It all came from him and he was talking in tongues in the womb. That's not that good. I was just kidding. But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. She's hearing in spirit. That's all right. All good. All good. All good. He knew Yeshua from the womb. Now, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, and Yeshua's mother, Miriam, Miriam, usually anglicized to Mary, but absolutely it was Miriam, gazillion percent. Now, a lot of people think they were just sisters or cousins, um, but 
they were certainly cousins, but the Greek word there just says kin. So a lot of people think they were either sisters or, or, or at best first cousins. It doesn't say that at all. Maybe they were first cousins, but they were relatives. So we don't know how close John the Baptist the boy and Yeshua the boy were. We don't know about their growing up, and we don't know exactly when John the Baptist was whisked away into Bamidbar, into the wilderness, to begin his training, probably with the Essenes. But he knew Yeshua. He knew the head when he saw the head. In fact, when he saw him coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is one coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He knew. He knew. He knew that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah was the one that was to precede the Mashiach. He was to precede. He knew that he was to hand the baton over to the Mashiach. That was part of his ministry as Elijah in the flesh. That was part of his ministry. You know, when it says he came and he had a hairy camel's hair and the belt and the, you know, the leather belt, that's what Elijah wore. He was the one to make way for the one. And he recognized the one. When Yeshua came to be immersed by him, he said, I, I, should, you, I shouldn't be immersing you. You should be immersing me. And Yeshua said, it's God, let's do this. Let's do this. He saw the spirit descend on Yeshua. He knew. It seems that some of his disciples were a little unsure. We see some places where John's disciples were questioning Yeshua. Now, I have to wonder why he had disciples to begin with after that. So he was a rabbi for sure. John the Baptist was a rabbi for sure. He had disciples for sure, and they questioned Yeshua. Now, I don't know why he still had disciples after he handed that baton over to Yeshua. That's for another study. But... John the Baptist went through a tough time. Now, a lot of the prophets of old had relationships with kings. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these people. The prophets of old had relationships with the kings of Israel and Judah. And their divine job was to speak to the kings and rebuke them. Now, I don't know what relationship John the Baptist had with Herod. But Herod, and I may have the names wrong. I'll have to double check this, but I think I have it right, and I could have it wrong. So forgive me. Herod had a brother named Philip. Philip was married to some girl named Herodias. Herod married Herodias. So Herodias was married to Philip and Philip's brother, King Herod. That is evil. That's a wicked thing. That's sexual sin. And John the Baptist, now I don't know if he had that type of relationship with Herod, but he went to Herod, and he said, that's not cool, and he went to jail for that. And eventually, Herodias' daughter, right, is the one who wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter. Anyway, so John the Baptist is in jail for doing this, for speaking truth to this king. And he says, in my opinion... One of the saddest lines in the Bible. Remember, John the Baptist knew Yeshua from the womb, leapt 
in his presence, in the womb, saw him coming, recognized the Lamb of God, said he's not worthy to untie his sandals, called him the one that's greater than me. And now in his second wilderness experience, when he's in jail with execution around the corner, unjust execution, he had word to his disciples to ask Yeshua, are you really the one? That, to me, is one of the saddest lines in all of the Bible. Are you really the one? Maybe he did lose his head before he lost his head. Maybe he did lose his head before he lost his head. And you're right, Val, I'm going to get there. Don't lose your head. Whatever your experience, whatever your prison experience is, whatever your midbar experience is, your desert wilderness experience is, don't lose your head. Don't lose your head because the kingdom is at hand. And if he's got you in jail and you have him within you, guess where the kingdom is? With you in jail. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. You know, there's another jail experience that happened probably a couple, of, maybe a decade or so after this experience where Paul and Silas were in jail. They had the spirit of God within them. They didn't lose their head. They didn't say, I wonder if Yeshua was the one. They praised the Lord right from there. And the shackles broke. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're in jail... Just praise the Lord. If you're in the wilderness, just praise the Lord. If you're in the desert, just praise the Lord. Midbar, midaber, speaking, let praise come out of your mouth. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head in this experience, in your experience. You know, things might get tough. You know, I can wax in times. Things can get tough. Things are going to get tough. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. That's right, Peter. That's right, in Norton, Massachusetts. Right? Now that's a word. Who's the greatest, Peter? And while he was in jail, Yeshua said, go tell him. Go back to John and tell him what's happening. The blind are receiving sight. The limp are walking. The, lepro the leprous are healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. What do we learn from this? That when we're in our desert experience, God is moving. Do you understand that? When we're in our prison experience, when we feel like, oh my gosh, God has left us, he wants you to know that he's moving. He wants you to know that the kingdom is at hand. He wants you to know that he's operating. 
He wants you to not lose hope. He wants you to not lose your head because he's moving. Tell John that the blind are receiving their sight. Is there anyone here who's having a wilderness experience? The lame are walking. The lepers are getting healed. In other words, be encouraged. God is still moving. Yeshua is still moving. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And you're right, Val. You know, it was in this moment where John may have lost his head. When he lost a little faith, when he had a little doubt, and he said, is Yeshua really the one, or should we look for somebody else? Why am I in prison here if Yeshua is the one? It was in that moment of doubt, literally in that moment of doubt, when Yeshua went in front of the crowd and said, he is not a reed shaken by the wind. What did you expect to see? A reed shaken by the wind, a man dressed in soft clothing. Those people are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? I tell you, one is more than a prophet. He, when he gave those encouraging words about John the Baptist, this was when John the Baptist was doubting him. This means that even when we go through our hard times and we're saying, Adonai, where are you? Where are you? God sees something else. See, we see ourselves as weak, and God says, you're not a reed shaken by the wind. Even in those times. Do you understand it? This is the time. This is when John the Baptist doubted the most. This is when he was shaken by the wind the most. And Yeshua goes in front of all people and says, he is not a reed shaken by the wind. He is more than a prophet. He's the greatest among men born of women. This is Yeshua's perspective even on you when you're going through your tough times. This is how Yeshua speaks of you, even in your tough wilderness prison experiences. Bless the Lord. Why can he bless? Why can he speak so positively of you? Didn't he say, if you deny me, I'm going to... Before men, I'm going to deny you before the Father. Here's John the Baptist on the verge of like denying him. Like, Are you really the one? I question your Messiahship at this point because of my circumstance. Don't lose your head. It says much later in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. When we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Where's my drummer? When we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does it mean that he can't deny himself? Come on! It's because he's in you. Do you understand that? Don't look. Come on, Tammy. Don't lose your head. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Okay, you can take that off if you want. I told you, it's all I got at 6 in the morning. It's, it's, that's what you're dealing with. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Do you, remember, do you understand that? 
He cannot deny himself. He's the head, you're the body. He cannot deny himself. Don't lose your head. He can deny you then. Don't lose your head. He cannot deny himself. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on, you. So as he is, so are we in this world. You are that prophet. As he is, so are we. Not as he is, so we will be. As he is, so are we in this world. Don't lose your head. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. So that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. Don't lose your head. In jail, in the wilderness, in your difficult times. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah that lives in me. Don't lose your head. Keep your head about you. Thank you, Father. In Yeshua's name, amen. Let's stand up. We will close the service. Thank you, Father. And it shall be said, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord shall be one, and his name one. And by the way, speaking of end times, this is the message that will get you through it. This is the time of Elul. This is the month of Elul. This is the Jewish month before the seventh month. This is a month of preparation. It's often and mostly a time of self-reflection and repentance before the great trumpet sounds in one month, less one day now. But really, the best preparation for the time of the trumpet is to recognize Yeshua within you, to operate in the kingdom. What is the perseverance of the saints? Faith in Yeshua and keeping your commandments of God. Don't lose your head in this time. That'll get you through. Remember who the head is. Don't lose your head.